2: A warm and friendly hello. Welcome to Love Las Vegas for the baseball betting podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a terrific podcast for you. It's William Moore. He does great work with MLB.com along with MLB Pipeline, taking a look at a lot of the future stars of the MLB is going to be joining me in the second segment. I had a little bit of a tough time with the audio, but with that said, still had a good chat with him. We're going to be talking about some of the younger guys that might be getting a little bit of a call-up, what we've seen from some of the guys that were highly touted prospects, and why some of them may have sputtered with regards to their progression. I'm talking about guys like Chris Paddock, Gavin Lux, so we're going to be talking about that in the second segment. A couple surprises in MLB as well, and then in the final segment, going to give you guys as a sign total. On every game on the betting board for this Sunday, as we touch them all first things first, always hope we be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. You've got one or two ways we offer those in. My Twitter timeline, at keep in mind the letters EM. they mean does not matter. The other way is via an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send in your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you, into there. I did not wind up getting in any questions today, but we had a wild day of MLB baseball on Saturday. So let's recap it. Let's take a look at all these teams tried to find some trends and tried to get to know these teams a tad bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. Shock, shock, surprise, surprise. The LA Dodgers were involved with another hairbrain game. And this one did not wind up going their way. In 11 innings, the Milwaukee Brewers get the job done by a count of 6 and 5. For the Dodgers, they wound up having to go as deep as you could ever imagine into their bullpen. Dustin May, he winds up giving up a home run in this one, but that's not the story. He had to leave after getting 5 outs. Going deep for the Milwaukee Brewers off of him, by the way, was Luis Odias, his third home run of the season. And then you had Travis Shaw being able to get a home run off of Garrett Clevenger who wound up relieving him for his 5th of the season. But for the Dodgers, they had to go deep into their bullpen as a result, Clevenger winds up pitching one and a third innings. Jimmy Nelson gives you an inning. Scott Alexander, an inning. Dennis Santana, an inning. Victor Gonzalez, an inning. Kenley Jansen, an inning. Blake trying an inning. And then you wind up having to go to Alex Vesia. Yes, a man with a 1869 ERA last season. He wound up very nearly getting out of it, and then Mitch White, who wound up pitching two innings in the game on Friday, came in, and he wound up giving up the game-winning runs to the Brewers, as the Brewers, they themselves had to go deep into their bullpen. Brandon Woodruff, six solid innings. He winds up giving up two runs in the process, but then from there, Brent Suter, Devin Williams, Josh Hader all wind up giving you a scoreless inning. Drew Rasmussen winds up giving up three runs, one of which was earned in his two innings of work on El Pergomo. He was able to hold down the fort, end for the Brewers. They were able to get a game-winning hit in a very unlikely spot as it was Travis Shaw that was able to do so it was the Brewers being able to draw walks with a bunch of guys that wound up just joining the team by the way as it was set up by Mario Feliciano a recent call-up that was absolutely crazy and for the Dodgers a team that did not wind up going through a three-game losing streak all season last year they have now experienced two within the last two weeks so very stunning there. The New York Yankees, it seems like they're getting online with their bat. 6-4. They wind up taking down the Detroit Tigres for Spencer Turnbull. Not necessarily the start he was looking for. Gives up four runs over the course of five innings. Ozesi Cerno gets two outs. Gives up two runs in the process. Derek Holland gave you a squirrel setting. He now has an ERA of a 13. So that's good news for the Detroit Tigers. And Nico Goodrum and Jameer Candelario both able to get home runs for Goodrum. He goes deep off of Chad Green. His fourth of the season. And Jamie Candelario second of the campaign that comes off of Jamison Tyon. As Tyon in this one, very solid. All he did was give up that solo run. Five innings pitch. He does walk three, but he punches out eight. Jonathan Moise gets a solid inning. Chad Green, he gets four outs. Araldis Chapman gets a save. And Justin Wilson did wind up giving up two runs out of the bullpen, though that home run was given up by Chad Green that Jamie or Candelaria wound up hitting. For the Washington Nationals, it's been a little bit of a rough go for their offense with Juan Soto out of the fold, but they were certainly able to produce on Saturday against the Miami Marlins. 72 the final in this one. For Paul Gamble, he did not give the start that was desired. For the Miami Marlins, they've been using a bunch of various starters with six Sanchez dealing with injury and what have you. Five runs, four of which were earned, given up in three and two-thirds innings, including run going deep. For the Washington Nationals in this one, one. Jan Gomes, his second home run of the campaign, and then from there, Miami Marlins bullpen, which is one of the better ones in the big leagues. Not too bad. John Curtis with two S's on the end of it, a scoreless inning. Jordan Alway, two scoreless innings. Adam Simber, a scoreless inning. Ross Setweiler did give up two runs, but Asus Aguiar, he's got not as well. Five home runs down in the last eight days for him. That comes off of Patrick Corbin, his sixth of the season, and for Corbin, that was really his own mistake. A rough start to the year, to say the least, for Patrick Corbin. Now is at 8-10 ERA, but gives up just two runs over the course of seven innings. Austin both along with Kyle Finnegan both give you a scoreless setting so the Nationals were able to get on track. They've now won three straight games. You've got the Kansas City Royals continuing to dominate out there in the American League. They and the Boston Red Sox find themselves atop of the league as it was an 11-3 win for them. Matt Shoemaker just gets completely crushed. 8 runs earned, 9 total give it up in 3 and a 3rd innings. Cody Sashek, he lowers his ERA to an 8.22 because he gets 5 outs without giving up a run. Randy Dobnik, in his role up there in the bullpen, has been terrible. Gives up 2 runs over the course of 3 innings. Alex Colome, he had a squirrel ascending as... All four of the Minnesota Twins pitchers wound up leaving with an ERA above 7. That is not good. Now, for the Minnesota Twins, Alston Cruz, he has been good. Jake Brents was taken deep by him. His eighth home run of the season. And then you were able to get the third home run in the last two days of Alex Kurloff. So that was very solid. But for the Royals, you were able to get another nice start out of Danny Duffy. Now, a 0-60 ERA. It went up after he gave up a home run, a solo job in seven innings. Brents winds up giving up two runs in two innings. But for the Kansas City Royals, probably... Our numbers were there here. Andrew Benettendi was off to a little bit of a rough start to begin the year. He goes deep twice off of Randy Dominick, his second and third of the campaign. Ryan Rearn goes deep off of Mr. Shoemaker for his second. And Salvador Perez, his sixth home run the season. Very remarkable to see what the Royals have been able to do. For the White Sox, they have a pretty remarkable offense themselves. After a rough first two or so weeks of the season, they picked it up. 7-3, they wind up taking down the Cleveland Indians. Tristan McKenzie just had nothing going in this one. Two innings pitch, he did strike out six in his two innings, so every... Out that he recorded was via strikeout, but he gave up five runs, all of which were earned, including a home run, and he walked four as going deep for the Chicago White Sox in this one. Tim Anderson the Grand Slam variety. That is his fourth of the season. And then from there, Indians' bullpen was pretty solid. Over the course of six innings, they wind up giving up two runs. Both of those given up by Phil Maiten. Cal Quantrill gave you five outs. You were able to get a scoreless inning out of Nick Wiggen. He's been having a rough go of it. Nick Sandlin wound up making his MLB debut. He looked solid. And then you wound up having Kyle Nelson being able to give you an inning. And for the Cleveland Indians, they were without frame mail rays in this one. Austin Edges was able to get his second home around the season. That winds up coming off of Lyons Lane, who didn't necessarily have his best stuff in this one. He gives up three runs over over the course of 5 innings, but Michael Kopech, he should certainly be in the starting rotation at this point. 3 scoreless innings, and then Aaron Bummer was able to give you a scoreless inning out of the pen as well as it looks like he's getting things all squared away. The Baltimore Orioles are getting some wins squared away. They have now won 3 straight, and they won a Matt Harvey start. 8-4 to four the final for Harvey it looks like he might be getting off the fade list. Two runs given up over the course of five and two-thirds innings. From there, the Baltimore Orioles bullpen, which has been relatively solid, they do wind up giving up two runs. Tate gave one up out of the bullpen. Cole Solzer did as well, but Tanner Scott gave you a scoreless inning, but for the Baltimore Orioles, a offense has been struggling. They've been towards the bottom with regards to pretty much all power numbers out there in the big leagues. DJ Stewart gets a second over in the campaign. That comes off of JB Wendell can out of the bullpen as Asus Lazardo did not have it in this one. Now, he was hurt by a couple of errors, but still gives up six runs over the course of three innings, three of which were earned. Wendell gives up that home run on the bullpen, so he gives up two runs over the course of an inning, but Dioli Esquerera, two scoreless innings. You get two scoreless innings out of Raymond Gudon, along with a scoreless inning from sumergio Romo, so that's nice, and you got number fours going on for the Oakland A's. Mark Canna, Lorman, Loriano both get their fourth home run of the campaign as they wind up getting it over, and you do want to know with Oakland, when the Marine layers out and they wind up playing day games, much more hitter-friendly than at the nighttime. For the Cincinnati Reds, they enter into Saturday, averaging right around 7.7 runs per game at home. Only two in this one, as the Cubs wind up getting a 3-2 to win. Zach Davies, he winds up giving up two runs, one of which was earned over the course of four innings, but bullpen from there, which has really been the bright spot for the Cubs, comes up big. They give up a combined two hits over the course of five innings, both given up by Kimbrel, who got a little bit hairy, but he was able to get the save. He, Ryan Tepera, Andrew Chafin, Dan Winkler, Rex Brothers all do their part. And for the Chicago Cubs, they go 4 of 10 with men in scoring position to be able to maximize those hits for the Cincinnati Reds. Luis Castillo is having a bit of a rough year. seven ERA. He used to be very good at home. A little bit more of a fade on the road. Gives up three runs over the course of five and a third innings. And for the Reds, their bugaboo has been the bullpen and it actually was not too bad in this one. You wind up having Eth Embry come in. He was able to give you a little bit of something. Amir do a Doolittle, so they were able to give you some good relief, but they went just one of eight with men in scoring position. Could not get the long ball going, so they wind up losing as a result. The Houston Astros. They wind up being able to take down the Tampa Bay Rays by a count of 3-1 to one. as for the Houston Astros. Been a little little bit inconsistent for them on offense. You take a look at them, they wind up scoring three runs yesterday. Day before against the Rays, they wind up putting up nine. They had zero in their last game against the Mariners. 7-2, 5 2-16-5-8. So, you just have no rhyme or reason with the Astros' offense at this point, but they were able to get a very good start out of Jose Utakidi. He winds up giving up no runs over the course of seven innings. Ryan Presley did give up a run out of the bullpen, but by and large, they were able to do their part. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, it was Josh Fleming who winds up giving up three runs over the course of six innings under Strickland two scoreless, and you were able to get a scoreless inning out of Cody Reed as well. But for the Rays, this is a team that they only punch out seven times. Actually, very good for them, considering... Since the beginning of the 2020 season, they lead the league in strikeouts per at bat. They just weren't able to get anything generated as they only get one run in this one. The Mets and Phillies have not gotten a lot generated recently. The Mets are averaging right around three runs per game on the road. That's a fewest out there in the National League. But they got a four spot in the first inning, which propelled them to a 5-4 win for the Phillies. They were actually tied up 4-4 four four in the ninth inning. And then Hector Naris winds up blowing it as he winds up a blowing home run, going deep for the New York Metropolitans in this one. Michael Conforto has been scuffling really bad. His second home run of the season for... Zach Wheeler, you do have to give him credit. Prior to this start, he had been 7-1 and in his career with a 288 ERA in Philadelphia. He winds up giving up four runs in the first inning, but he still gave the team seven innings, only gave up the four runs. And then for the Philadelphia Phillies, they're still without Bryce Harper in this one. They're still without quite a few other guys, as I do believe that they wound up giving a day off to Gene Segura. They've been dealing with quite a few injuries, but Alec Baum was able to get his third home run of the season. That comes off of Taiwan Walker. That was the first home run that Walker had given up all season, but he winds up giving up four runs, but still completed six. And the Mets bullpen has actually been above average so far this year. Edwin Diaz, he winds up getting the save. Trevor May, Aaron Loop, they were all able to give you scoreless innings as well. You didn't get a lot of scoreless innings in this one. St. Louis Cardinals completely destroyed the Pittsburgh Pirates by a kind of 12-5. to 5. For the Cardinals, you were able to get a pair of home runs in this one. Paul DeYoung winds up being able to get his sixth home run on the camp. Bain, and Justin Williams is able to get his third. A lot of good power hitters for the St. Louis Cardinals, by the way. Hitting both of the Mineros line of 200, both of these guys are, but they're supplying a little bit of power. And for Jack Flaherty, he winds up being able to give you a solid start in this one. Gives up three runs over the course of six innings. Jordan Nix gives up around the bullpen along Genesis Cabrera, but Giovanni Gallegos, Cody Whitley, able to give you scoreless innings. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, this was just not what you were hoping for out of Trevor Kale. Gives up five runs, but he did go five in a third inning, so he was able to save the bullpen a little bit more. Dwayne Underwood Jr., Chris but scoreless settings, but you had Sean Poppin. He winds up giving up five runs, two of which were earned over the course of an inning. Hurt by a pair of errors, one of which was his own. When the pitcher winds up committing in there, I always think that they should be on the hook for that run but that's just something that I could go on and on and rant about but it is what it is and if you take a look at the Pirates, they have not played each other last three games to the over and they have given up in that span at least seven runs in every one of them so pitching seems to be failing them a little bit. The Blue Jays offense certainly not failing them. They now have a pair of good guys in Teoscar Hernandez along George Springer back and they utilize those guys to be able to get a 65 win for George Springer. Two home runs in this one. His first two of the campaign. First one comes off of Charlie Morton. The other one comes off of Luke Jackson for Morton. He winds up giving up four runs over the course of five and a third innings, and Luke Jackson winds up giving up that solo job, but I mean, you take a look at the bullpen of the Atlanta Braves. It was relatively solid. A.J. Minter, Will Smith both give you a scoreless inning. Edgar Santana, he winds up getting a pair of outs out of the bullpen, and Nate Jones winds up giving up the ghost runner on second base in extras, but for the Atlanta Braves, Ronald Cunha Jr. leads the league now with nine home runs this season. That comes off of Trent Thornton, and Christian Bache, who is back off the injured list. He gets his first home of the season, as it was a very interesting day for the Blue Jays. They wind up using an opener in Travis Bergen for Tommy Malone. Malone winds up getting lit up. Four runs given up in two and a third innings. The Blue Jays entered into this day with the top open ERA out there in the big leagues that likely changed things to Mr. Tommy Malone even though he was technically the starter, but for Burgeon, he wound up giving a nice open. Thorn winds up giving that that home run, but then from there, Tim Mazza, David Phelps, Tyler Chatwood, Rafael Dolis, along with Jordan Romano, a combined four and two-thirds innings scoreless to be able to get the job done for the Toronto, aka Dunedin Blue Jays. For the Rockies, they were averaging 2.4 runs per game in road games so far this year, but paying a 14-spot on the ears of Diamondbacks, who had to wind up pitching as Drupal Cabrera and Wyatt Matheson in a 14-6 loss. And for Cabrera Matheson, a combined one and two-thirds innings, and they're not giving up any runs. If you look at position player ERAs, they're actually not terrible. As sad as that is, and for Zach Allen, this is someone that throughout his career has been magnificent. In 30 career starts, he had allowed... More than three runs in just two of them. Make it three. Gives up four runs over the course of four innings. And the bullpen gets just got completely lit up. J.B. Burkakis gives up a run in an inning. Caleb Smith, he gives up two runs in two innings, including a home run at Matt Peacock. Hey, he winds up recording one out. He gives up seven runs. He now is an 831 ERA for the Colorado Rockies. They took out their frustrations on the yards. And the an NMMA story. winds up getting his turn on the campaign that comes off of Caleb Smith. So now he's got three chapters in his Story Brook of home runs. Adam Nunez winds up being able to get his fifth of the season as Austin Gomber. Who does wind up giving up four runs over the course of six innings, but only two of which were earned. Walks issues have always been plaguing him. Only one in this one. Ben Bowden winds up giving up a run in a third of an inning. Michael Givens, he winds up being able to close out an inning. And then you saw the debut of Justin Lawrence, or at the minimum his second career appearance both coming in the series. We're going to be talking a little bit more about him with William Bohr. He winds up throwing a a mile power heater quite a bit in this one. He winds of going a squirrel ending, so very good signs there for the Colorado Rockies out there in the NL West. The San Francisco Giants have been showing a lot of good signs as well, but they wind up losing to the Slam Diego Padres by a count of 6-2. to two. If you wind up having the under in this one tough as the Padres wind up being able to play 3 in the 8th inning. That was headlined by the fact that Jurekson Profar got his first home run of the season. That comes off of Camilio Duval, and then Manny Machado got his fourth home run of the season. That came in the first inning off of Anthony de Scalfani. And for Di Scalfani, gives up 3 runs over the course of 6 innings. So, nothing great, nothing terrible. Duval winds up giving up those 3 runs over the course of two-thirds of an inning, so that was tough for a Giants bullpen that has been towards the top of the big leagues in pretty much every category. Mauricio Dubon, for the Giants hitting, was able to get his first home in the season. That comes off of Blake Snell. Snell, once again, not necessarily a long start. Gives up two runs, one of which was earned off of that home run in five innings, but the Padres, who have been used for the most innings out of the bullpen of any team in the big leagues, they were once again great. Emilio Pagan, Austin Adams, Craig Stammen, along with Pierce Johnson, all scoreless innings out of the bullpen, so they get the job done there. The Angels, they were able to take a to the Seattle Mariners by kind of 10 to 5 for LJ Newsome. He winds up going two innings, giving up eight runs, all of which were earned, including three home runs. Robert Duggar gave him for some long relief. He gave up a home run himself in three innings, gives up two total runs. Keenan Middleton gave you two scoreless innings, though. You wind up also having Wyatt Mills make his major league debut and pitch a scoreless inning. And then Domingo Tapia was able to give you a scoreless inning as well as for the Angels. Going deep in this one, Mike Trout, seventh home run this season. He's hitting above a 400 home Jared Walsh, he goes deep twice, once off of Newsome, twice off of Newsome. 5th and 6th of the season and Anthony Rendon gets his 2nd home run in the campaign. He's fresh off the injured list and for Griffin Canning by far his best appearance of the season. 9 punch outs. Gives up 1 unearned run over the course of 5 and a 3rd innings. He was actually hurt by a trio of errors, as Jose Iglesias now has 7 of them for the season but Andrew Claudio was able to give you a scoreless inning. Mike Myers was able to hold down the fort as Steve check did give up 2 runs both of which were unearned and then Ben Rowan winds up giving up 2 runs in an inning including a home run going deep for the Seattle Mariners in this one. Mitch Haniger is 7th but that was in the inning when it was too little too late and it was not too little too late for the Texas Rangers. They come up with some good power numbers against the Boston Red Sox. 8-6 to six a final in this one as for the Texas Rangers. A 3-5 in the 6th was able to propel them. For the Rangers, they wind up being able to go deep twice in this one. Willie Calhoun goes deep in the 6th off of Matt Andrees. The second run of the campaign and Isaiah Kinnear-Falefa winds up taking Eduardo Rodriguez deep for his 4th. For Rodriguez, he winds up giving up 4 runs over the course of 5 innings. His walks are way down. He wound up leading the league in that category. Category in 2019, he's been able to do a much better job, but certainly his worst start of the year, Matt injuries winds up giving up three runs in an inning, and then you had Owekau Sawamura, give up a run in an inning, and for the Boston Red Sox, you did have Hunter Renfro being able to go yard, selling a buck 88, and he's still useless, but he was able to get his second home run in the campaign that came off of Jordan Lyles, who winds up getting lit up in this one. Gives up five runs over the course of four innings, but a Texas Rangers bullpen that has been in the bottom five in the big leagues in just about every category. They were good in this one. A combined five innings, Josh Shorbitz winds up giving up run, and that was it. Taylor Hearn, Jolie Rodriguez, Ian Kennedy. They combined for three and two-thirds innings, scoreless. So, if you're taking a look at Major League Baseball right now, The overs were hitting big time yesterday as now unders for the season 50.7%. This was right around 53% about 48 hours ago. So we're seeing a little bit of a run on overs. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at favorites, they're now hitting at a 53.2% clip for the season. And to my point, overs the past seven days are now hitting at a clip of 54%. So over the last seven days, 47 and 40. So we're seeing that trend. If you're looking over the last seven days, the underdogs, They've been getting hurt a little bit more, only getting it at 43.6% clip, which is still good, but it's not quite the ridiculousness that we wound up seeing at the beginning of the year, and something that's not ridiculous, the fact that William Board does absolutely tremendous work. It is to be expected. He always does so, and coming up next, we're going to be talking with him about some of the guys that might be getting called up to the majors soon, some of the guys that will be able to bust out as prospects, and just take a look at the minor league season in general because it is going to be a little bit of a weird one. He's going to be lending his insight next, right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Dave Peterson.
0: Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the overtime network hotline
2: we're back here at Las Vegas for the Baseball Buddy Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is great to be joined by our next guest as this gentleman does an absolutely terrific job over there with MOB.com, And he mostly does a lot of the prospecting work for them with MOB Pipeline. Taking a look at some of the young guys that are going to be starring both this year and in future years. That would be William Bohr. You are able to follow him on Twitter at bore, And that last name is spelled B-O-O-R. And William, it is always great to have you, aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, anytime. I'm always happy to join you and uh, talk some baseball. It is great to have you aboard. And first things first, when you take a look at what has happened this season, just with regards to the MOB in general, we're a couple of guys that have really stood out to you with regards to the way that they've been able to stand out with regards to the younger guys. Because I take a look at it, and a couple guys just recently got the call up. Justin Lawrence, as we are doing this podcast, hasn't really gotten any time with the Rockies, but. Now he's up with the major league program, and I know that the St. Louis Cardinals, as it seems like they always do, they're setting up a lot of their top prospects, which I think is very intriguing for them, because as we know, Cardinals just seem to be a factory for good young talent, especially with Dylan Carlson doing what he's doing so far this year. Yeah, like you said, Dylan Carlson off to a good start. Other young players that have really liked what I saw, Garrett
1: Whitlock on the mound for the Red Sox, has been absolutely lights out. Chris Rodriguez for the Angels has been dominant on the mound out of the and I don't know how long it'll last, maybe it will, but I think when you're talking about young rookies and whatever, the biggest story in baseball right now and has been for the first month is Yermian me Mercedes with the White Sox, who's hitting like 800, it seems, and homers every night.
2: I agree with you. It has been interesting to be able to watch him so far this season. And to your point, Garrett Whitlock doing a great job for a Boston Red Sox bullpen we'll that... I had very low expectations for personally. I don't know who you consider to be the biggest breakout team slash surprise team of the MLB season so far, but I'd have to put the Boston Red Sox right up there, especially not having Chris Sale to begin the year. J.D. Martinez was terrible. Eyes, so you figured he wasn't going to be hitting right around a 200 again this year, but I take a look at this Red Sox team. It's been very intriguing to be able to watch them. And with the New York Yankees not hitting, the Yankees really – not having anything to speak of with regards to your farm system, not having a lot of pitching really in the starting rotation. Obviously, bullpen is very solid, and you've got Garrett Cole, but starters two through five, big giant question mark. This is a team that I feel like has some saying power.
1: Yeah, the whole AL East is interesting because Tampa at 500 kind of makes sense. Obviously, they were good last year but lost some pieces. I expect a little bit more of Toronto right now is recording this their one game under 500, but that's probably right around where I'd expect them to finish up. Boston obviously has been better than I expected, but it's only been 25, 26 whatever games, so obviously no need to panic there. Frankly, Baltimore's played better than I anticipated too. There's still, you know, a few games under 500, but no one was expecting them to be elite. So that whole division, if you were to look at it, you know, a month ago and look at your predictions, I think that division is completely flipped and all a mess. But of course, there's 130 games left to go. So we'll see how it winds up. But I think that division is definitely intriguing right now because of what was expected and the way it's shaking out so far.
2: I totally agree with you. The AL East is certainly one in which has honestly been as expected aside from, well, the Baltimore Orioles being at the bottom of it. So There is that, as we do have William Bohr of MLB.com joining me on the podcast. And, William, when you take a look at the way that some of these guys have been able to develop slash their lack of development, I do think that it is interesting that Kevin Lux has been dealing with so many injuries because I know that he's a guy that so many people have been so high on for many years. It just feels like he hasn't necessarily been able to put it together at the MLB level. Just wound up getting off the injury list about a week or so ago for the Dodgers as we're doing this, hitting around the Mendoza line of two hundred. It's been a little bit rough for him. I know Chris Paddock is someone that, he hasn't been bad at the MLB level, no question about it, but I still remember when he came up a couple years ago, we were all thinking that he was going to be the next great ace. It just hasn't necessarily happened for him. And you take a look at some of these guys, like a Lux, like a Chris Paddock, do you wind up just giving them a little bit more time? you wind up evaluating just what they might be in the next couple years? Or do you sort of start to make judgments right now that, hey, Maybe we had this guy a little bit too highly rated. Maybe he came in with a little bit too much fanfare. Or sort of like the Jeff Francoeur model in which it's like he peaked a little bit too early. The expectations got too high. And he wound up just being what we thought he was going to be.
1: Yeah, both of those guys are really interesting cases. Like Lux, when he first came up in 2019, obviously there was a lot of hype. And I still think that talent's there. But he came up, there was a ton of hype. And he seemed like he was going to break out toward the end of the year. I know he homered in the postseason. It looked like, okay, we're ready to go. He's adjusted to the major league level, all that. And then 2020 obviously was what it was. The numbers he put up weren't great, but I don't even know what to put into anyone's 2020 numbers because of, you know, everything that went on. So you sort of do that as a pass and you ignore it. This season, he's off to a slow start. But like you said, there's been injuries and in total, he's, played under 60 games at the major league level you know 60 games over three years one of them in a pandemic like it's just a really weird situation i still think he's the guy that was rated as a top prospect and i think there's time with him i think he's just going to get into a rhythm he's never been able to at the major league level and that's not necessarily his fault that's you know injuries pandemic all that so I think when you get him some everyday time, um, I think the other thing that helps player like him is being on the Dodgers. While it might make it hard to get playing time, that's a negative. The positive is sometimes these top prospects, if they're on if they're on teams that aren't as good, you call them up and it's like, hey, we need you to produce and we need you to rake right away. The Dodgers have plenty of places to get their offense from. They can stick him in the bottom half of the order. They can choose when they play him against you know certain pitchers or certain stadiums or whatever there's ways that they can kind of ease him in and say hey get used to life in the majors and we don't need you to hit 320 in your first month paddock kind of the same thing i think i don't think he'll reach his peak what he did in 2018 2019 whenever he debuted because like you said he came out and he was like the best pitcher in baseball for a month And everyone was like, whoa, maybe he was under-ranked as a prospect. I think he was lower top 100. But yeah, he obviously outperformed that right away. I think maybe he was under-ranked, but I also don't think he was the guy that he was in his first month, first six weeks in the majors. I think now we're probably seeing roughly where he is. And like you said, he hasn't been bad. He's been a good average major league starter. You know, there's a spot on him in rotations. I just think everyone has good months um, throughout a career. And throughout a season, everyone has hot stretches. It's just when your hot stretch is your first ever six starts, it kind of sets the bar at unreasonable levels.
2: I am right there with you with Paddock. I do think that he was almost a victim of his own success because I thought he'd be a solid pitcher at the big leagues, which is what he's sort of been. But the expectations got so high after he wound up having such a hot start a couple years ago, and he just hasn't necessarily been able to duplicate it. As we do have William Bohr joining me on the podcast, and William and only you guys. Over there at MLB Pipeline, always have your prospects top 100. And coming into this year, I know that you've got a couple guys that it seems like are going to be very close to coming up to the major league level. Jared Kelnick is really coming to mind with the Seattle Mariners. I can't wait to watch him. Bobby Wood Jr. with the Kansas City Royals. It feels like so many sons of former baseball players are starting to come up to the MLB. You just take a look at the entire Toronto Blue Jays team. It's always exciting to be able to see those guys. We've already seen a couple guys wind up coming up, like Luis Patino. He's looked very solid for the Tampa Bay Rays. Alice Kurloff, not necessarily doing much with the Twins, but it's very early. From list goes on and on. Are there a couple guys that you think might get called up in the next month or two that could really make an impact for a team this upcoming season? I think what will be interesting to see is... The minor
1: league season officially starts Tuesday. So a lot of these guys that we heard about in spring training, you know, the Jared Kelmix, the Bobby Witt Juniors of the world, that seemed like they, that they were close to making major league rosters. I think teams give them a couple weeks in the minors and see where they're at because a lot of these players you know with the cancellation of the 2020 minor league season haven't faced other teams in a while they had you know alt sight and instructs and spring training but get them in some real competitive environments see if how they play and how they adjust and if they're hot for a couple weeks then I think we start seeing a lot of call-ups obviously Kelnick's the big name and everyone's going to be looking at him I think wit's interesting depending on the Padres I know CJ Abrams was someone that was intriguing, depending on Tatis' health situation. But I think his shoulder seems to be in good shape now. So maybe that's not as immediate as it was, you know, a few weeks ago. But I definitely think mid to late May, after there's been a few weeks of minor league games, we'll start seeing probably a lot of movement.
2: I agree with you. I do think that we're going to be seeing a little bit more, especially once you wind up getting the trade deadline as well. Some of these teams, that they might be a little bit more out of it. They might be more willing to give these guys a little bit more of a shot. And we do know that the minor leagues are a little bit different this year as well. There are fewer teams that are taking part in the minor league season. It wound up being delayed as well. How is this working out and how are teams sort of maneuvering? Because I have to think that it's a little bit difficult for some of these guys to get as much rest if they wind up going on the injured list, they try to make a rehab start or two. And it's also just a little bit tougher in general for some of these young guys to be able to get in the normal reps that they would in a season that was from 2019 or earlier.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think the one big thing is with the cancellation of last year, the teams are trying to figure out what level players deserve to be at because they haven't played in a while. But also, you know, everyone got a year older. So they're trying to figure it out. So I think The first month or so of the minor league season is going to be interesting where they kind of level out and see, like, okay, do you actually deserve to be at double A? Maybe you should be at triple A. Maybe you should be at high A, whatever. So I think there's going to be a feeling out process on all teams. And the thing that's going to make that interesting is teams are approaching it differently. Some teams are saying, well, let's pretend. Nothing happened and this is where you were at the end of 2019. Some are like, hey, you're now 22 years old, so we've got to bump you up a level and expedite it. So you're going to have kind of different levels of players competing against each other for a little bit until everything kind of levels off. Now, obviously, it's not going to be super drastic, like teams aren't going to send all their players to AAA and they be like, oh, crap. And Move everyone down, but there's going to be probably some variance in the quality of the play across different leagues as the minor league season gets going. And that's where teams are really going to have to rely on their scouts and try and figure out when they figure out promotions and all that is like, why, why did the numbers look like this for this certain guy? Are those numbers true? Is he facing players he shouldn't be? Is he too good for this level? Is he not good enough for this level or what? I think the first month, first six weeks are going to be really intriguing for a variety of reasons.
2: And it's also going to be interesting to look at these numbers in general as we do have William Bohr joining me on the podcast because it feels like every one of these minor league leagues are trying out a different set of rules as well because you've got in one of these leagues where the mound is actually being moved back a little bit more and you got to figure that that's going to hurt a pitcher a little bit more because it's like you're throwing actually a little bit further than you typically would throw in a major league baseball game. So I think that gauging that as well is going to make things all the more difficult.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's going to be relatively normal. But because they're coming off, you know, season's going to be very strange this year.
2: Yeah, I'm right there with you. It certainly is going to be interesting to watch all of that. And it is always fascinating to be able to take a look at some of these guys that are a little bit younger coming up to the major league level. And, William, I know that you do a tremendous job of being able to gauge this. And you do so many things for MLB. A lot of your work is with MLB Pipeline. You're out there in the great state of Arizona as well. So let the good people at home know what you're all working on currently and how they're able to follow along on social media and elsewhere.
1: Well, like you said, everyone can follow on twitter at wbor that's w-b-o-o-r and right now as i mentioned minor league season starts tuesday so getting really excited there's a lot of rosters getting released today and throughout the weekend so trying to figure out where top prospects are going to start their year and then figure out which parks i'm going to be driving to and watching all these top players and then obviously of course we've got the draft in a couple months too so a lot going on a couple months here of a a lot of work going to be busy but really looking forward to it after having a whole year without minor league baseball without prospects
2: absolutely it's a little bit more backloaded, i guess you could say with regards to minor league baseball this season but it is going to be very terrific to be able to watch some of these younger guys because they were really robbed of a 2020 minor league season so being able to see them get out on the field get some reps then then eventually be able to make it to the major league level is gonna be terrific. And some of these guys are going to be impacting playoff races. Some of these guys are going to be impacting your bets as well. So it's always great to have guys like William Bor that track all this, that track all this, and so much more. So big thanks everyone, for joining me right here on the baseball betting podcast and coming up next. It is that time of the podcast. They give you a sign journal on every game on today's MOB betting board as we touch them all. Welcome back to the
0: Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start and now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion.
2: And we're back here in Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. A big thanks to William Bohr of MOB.com and MOB Pipeline for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you a signed total on every game on the betting board for this Sunday as we touch them all.
0: If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all.
2: Do note that any changes are made to these plays. will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenSquarty1. As per usual, we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is just where we go National League games first, then the American League games, and then one Interleague game, which right now we've got a to-be-determined starter in Atlanta versus Toronto, so... There is that, and we are going to be beginning with 901-902 on the betting board. You've got the Miami Marlins, and they are going to be hitting the road to face off against the Washington Nationals. Van Baxter is going to be going for the Nets. Meanwhile, you've got Trevor Rogers on the bump for the Miami Marlins with your total on this game at 7, with the 7. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and plus 105. Meanwhile, the under, you're finding that anywhere between minus 105 and minus 125 with the Nets. You're going to be finding them as a favorite anywhere between minus 140 and minus 150. Meanwhile, your plus price here with Miami is anywhere between Plus 125 and plus 135. Trevor Rogers doing an absolutely superb job so far this season, but I do think that this could be where the wheels wind up falling off a little bit. I do like the fact that the Washington Nationals have been able to do a good job of being able to get on base in general. We wound up seeing that on display yesterday as they were able to get a 7-2 win. And right now you've got Josh Harrison, a long straight turner down for one, leading the way inning above a 3 air. But Yadiel Hernandez has been able to come in 455 on base. He's been solid. Ryan Zimmerman has been able to do a solid job. And then even the bottom of the lineup, guys like Andrew Stevenson, Starlin Castro, starting to give you something, and how about Kyle Schwarber? He's got two walk-off home runs for the Nats so far this season, even though his batting average is a little, little bit down. He has been able to give this team a little bit of pop. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Miami Marlins. Asus Aguiar has been on a nice tear. Four home runs in the last eight days, hitting right around a 300 Miguel Rojas is in a little bit of a slump. But Corey Dickerson doing a nice job with me. Get on base, but take a look at the bottom of the lineup: Mengelia Sierra, along with someone like a John Birdie, Garrett Cooper, Adam Duvall. These guys have not produced with Cooper and Duvall. Both of these guys have a little bit of power, but with the Miami Marlins as well. you had to use up quite a few bullpen pieces yesterday because Paul Campbell wound up being the starter, so Adam Simber got used up. You had Jordan Holloway, John Curtis with two S's out there, so Joe Floro, Yemi Garcia, probably going to need to eat up quite a few innings. And for Mad Max Scherzer, velocity is a little bit down. We saw him get shelled in his last start, but by and large he's been pretty solid so far this year. 3 ERA has given up 6 home runs, but just 6 walks in 30 innings. He still has his good stuff facing off against the Miami team that they don't necessarily hit a bunch of bombs. That's really been his big bugaboo and for Trevor Rogers, One home run give it up in 28 innings. The 10 walks in 28 innings, a little bit of a concern. So this is a spot in which I did wind up setting the Nationals as a sizable favorite. I'm willing to lay up to about 165 this year with them, so I'm going to be taking the Nats on the money line, and I'm going to be treading lightly because I set this solo at 6.9. I'm going to be taking that 7 under with minus 110 juice, and I'm going to wind up taking the Washington Nationals as I just don't want to be risking them needing to win this game by multiple runs. 903-904 on the betting board. The St. Louis Cardinals hit the road to face off against the Pittsburgh Pirates You've got Will Crow is going to be going for the Buccos. Meanwhile, Carlos Martinez is going to be on the bump for the St. Louis Cardinals. Cardinals are finding themselves as favorites here of anywhere between minus 140 and minus 148. Meanwhile, the plus price here with the Buccos anywhere between plus 120 and plus 135. Your total on this game ranging between 8 and 8.5. And on the 8th, the over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 105. If you're looking at the 8.5, over and under, anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115 and I take a look at this one, I do think that you're going to get some scoring. I set this total north of 9.5, so I certainly see a nice edge here to the over because you take a look at William Crow. He has been able to give the Pirates a couple solid innings. He wanted making a start and a relief appearance, so 4 and 2 thirds innings. He wanted to in that time span, giving up really only 2 runs but 4 walks, which is a little bit concerning. That's been the concern for him throughout his career. 13 career innings, 12 walks, a little bit of a wild guy, and for Carlos Martinez, he's had some command issues as well. 476 ERA seems to be getting a little bit better but you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. I believe that they are 2-10 and 10 in his last 12 starts. But for the Pirates, they did wind up having a rough day yesterday. So they wound up having to burn through quite a few of their bullpen pieces. Dwayne Underwood Jr., Scott Poppin. These guys have been used. You still have someone like a Richard Rodriguez that you're able to look to. Kyle Crick has been solid. But for the Cardinals, this is a team that all of a sudden is getting online with the bats. Tommy Evan hitting just below a three hundred. Dylan Carlson, Nolan Arenado, both hitting in the neighbor of a two seventy five. Even though you wind up having Yadier Molina out. And that, no doubt, is is a big loss. You've had Andrew Kisner being able to come in, do a solid job, and he's doing a nice job of being able to call games as well, which I think is even more important. And then for the Pittsburgh Pirates, you do have some guys that are doing a good job of getting on base. Brian Reynolds, Adam Frazier, Colin Moran, In between a 287 and a 300. Now you've got a couple slugs on this team. The backup catcher spot with Michael Perez has not necessarily been terrific. Kevin Newman hitting right around a 200. Gregory Polonko, seems to be finding a little bit more, but he's been rough. The Todd father, Todd Frazier. I mean, who's your daddy? Because he is right now just getting struck out, so all pitchers are pretty much his daddy at this point, and it's not been good, but for the Cardinals. I do like this bullpen as well. Ryan Aisley, someone that's been able to give you some good innings. Jordan X has had a rough go of it to begin the year, but I do think that he's going to be able to find it after he wound up spending all last year off due to COVID-19. You've even got someone like Cody Whitley, who I think is going to be able to give you some solid innings. This is a spot in which I wound up setting the St. Louis Cardinals as a pretty sizable favorite here. I wound up setting them at minus 153, but if you take a look at the run line, you're getting that at a lot of places right around plus 115. I needed at least a plus 113 to take a shot So I'm going to wind up reducing the juice. I'm going to take the run line here of the St. Louis Cardinals because I do think that it's going to be higher scoring to go along with this total over. 905-906 on the bank board. The Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are on to Cincinnati. And they're going to be taking on the Chicago Cubs. Trevor Williams is going to be going for the Cubs. Tyler Molly on the bump for the Cincinnati Reds. Reds are finding themselves anywhere between minus 138 and minus 148 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Cubbies, anywhere between plus 120 and plus 135, your total on this game ranging between 8.5 and and 9. On the 8.5 overs, anywhere between minus 105 and minus 148. 125. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and seeing that as a plus 105, seeing as bad as a minus 115 as well, but probably don't want to be taking that and on the 9. Your under Zenny anywhere between minus 120, minus 125, Overs any anywhere between even in plus 105 and for Trevor Williams, certainly has been a rough go of it to begin the year from. I would have needed north of plus 150 to take a shot here on the Chicago Cubs. Now the Cubs were able to get a nice one yesterday, but you just take a look at the offense in general. They have been so hit or miss. They wind up scoring three runs yesterday, which which is a little bit more regular, but prior to that, six runs, nine runs, zero, zero, seven, zero, three, fifteen, four, sixteen, three. 15, four, 16, three. I mean, it's just all over the place with this team. you have got a couple guys doing a good job of being on reach base for this team. Chris Bryant is hitting above a 300 you We've got Javi Bias and Wilson Contreras both starting to give you some power. Combined 13 home runs between these two guys, but outside of those two, you really don't have anyone other than Bryant that's really hitting for home runs. Anthony Rizzo has been able to do a solid job of getting on base, but Ian Happ, Jason Award, the Outfield in general has been a hot mess. And then for the Cincinnati Reds, despite a little bit of a clunker yesterday, this is a team that they're averaging right in the neighborhood of seven and a half runs per game at home. Nicasianos has been terrific for this team, hitting a three hundred. Joey Votto, a little bit intermittent, hitting a 235 right now, but he's been picking up recently. Eugenia Suarez has been a hot mess, and it doesn't matter because you've got Jesse Winker hitting a 370 for this team. Tucker Barnard, catcher spot in general for this team, has been superb. Mike Musakis has been out of the lineup a couple games so far this season, but Taylor Nakuin, whenever he's been out there, he's been good. He's got six home runs for this bunch. Now, if you're taking a look at the Reds, bullpen pitching has been a big concern for this team. TJ Antone has been highly reliable for you, but Sean Doolittle, Carson Fomer, Amir Garrett, Ethan embry these are guys that you don't necessarily trust in. I will say this for the Cubs, they've been able to get some good bullpen pitching. Craig Kimbrel has been absolutely superb for this team, but they had to go into the bullpen a lot because they only got four innings out of Zach Davies. So, Rex Brothers, Dan Winkler, Andrew Jafin, all these guys wound up getting used up yesterday, so that's going to put them a little bit behind the eight ball. I do think that the trend of higher scoring games is going to be continuing out here in Cincinnati. So I set this total at 9.7. A big reason why is even though Tyler Molly has been superb so far this year. buck 75 ERA, 36 punch outs at 25 and two-thirds innings. He does issue a lot of walks. 11 walks so far this season. He has been prone to giving up a couple home runs as well with Trevor Williams, 444 ERA. He also has a walks issue. 10 walks in 24 and a third innings. I think that this could cause their pitch counts to get jacked up. Then you wind up getting a tired Cubs bullpen and a bad Reds bullpen, and you wind up getting a whole bunch of runs. I was willing to make the Reds as high as a minus 154 favorite, but if you're taking a look at the run line, getting that between plus 130 and even as high as plus 140, that appeals to me more because I do think that you You're going to get a bunch of runs. So, taking the Reds run line along with this total over. 907-908 on the betting board. You've got yourself the LA Dodgers on the road facing off against the Milwaukee Brewers. Urio Arias is going to be going for the Dodgers. Meanwhile, it is good old to be determined that is going to be going for the Brewers, and it looks like it's going to be Alec Bettinger, who's going to be making his major league debut for the Milwaukee Brewers. Currently, this is a number that's not up anywhere. I'm doing this just after the Brewers and Dodgers game from Saturday wound up going final, and you've got two completely burnt out bullpens. I mean, Josh Hader has been used three straight days. He's not going to come out there for the Brewers. Devin Williams wound up getting used up. The list goes on and on. And with Bettinger, he is someone that he's able to give you a little bit of heat, but at the same time, this is going to be his first career start. Not just his first career start, his first career MLB appearance. I just don't know what we're going to be able to get out of him. Meanwhile, with Mr. Julio Arias, he has actually been very solid throughout his MLB career. We saw him come out of the bullpen. He looked very solid there. And if you want to be going even further back with Mr. Benninger, who's going to be making his debut for the Brewers, you take a look at him throughout his minor league career, Hey, you wound up having a 5-7 and record record out there at double A baseball, at high A baseball, a 691. And what I really noticed with him is that he actually does a good job with command. He doesn't necessarily walk a bunch of guys, but at the same time, he is someone that he winds up giving up a lot of hard contact, so that's what you want to note there. And with Mr. Arias, you take a look at him for the season. He's been able to do a good job of being able to keep things out in front of him. Three home runs and six walks, give it up in 30 and two-thirds innings. And with the Milwaukee Brewers, the only reason why the game wound up going over yesterday was not necessarily because of their lineup, because the game wound up going to extras, and you had to trot out their guys for the Dodgers that just should not be pitching in that game. With Omir Nervais now on the injured list, you wound up having, I believe, one starter who had a batting average above a .234, and that would be Colt Wong, whatever you've had, Tyrone Taylor out there. He's been able to give you a little bit of something, but this team has been a disaster. Meanwhile, for the Dodgers, you're still without Cody Bellinger, but Mookie Betts, who's been dealing with injuries, so it looks like he's back and fully healthy. This is someone that wound up having a home run yesterday. That solid A.J. Pollock has been able to pick it up a little bit. Calvin Lux, who we were talking about with William Bohr, hitting below the Mendoza line of 200, which is a little bit tough. Will Smith, along with Austin Barnes at the country spot, have been a little bit shaky, and You got to expect that both of these bullpens in general are going to be just completely gassed. I'd be willing to probably take some sort of a run line here with the Dodgers if you're getting that in the neighborhood of even money-ish, even laying a little bit of a price. I think that the Dodgers should be like a minus... 180-ish favorite, as insane as it sounds. I think that they should be very sizable here. I just don't know what we're going to be able to get out of Bettinger. I do realize that the Dodgers are on a three-game losing streak, but I think that there might be a little bit of overreaction. And this is a total that I'd probably be setting right around nine-ish because with the bullpens, once again, they're going to be badly taxed. That's right now where I'm looking. Check back in the morning my Twitter feed at Squirty one for set plays there. 909, 910 on the bank board. You've got the Arizona Diamondbacks, and they're going to be playing host to the Colorado Rockies. Chichi Gonzalez is going to be going for the Rockies. Meanwhile, Merrill Kelly is on the bump for the D-backs. D-backs are finding themselves anywhere between minus 145 and minus 150 favorites. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Rockies. As high as a plus 140, as low as a plus 128, and your total on this game is 9. Over is anywhere between minus 115 and even money. Meanwhile, the under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. Kelly is someone that has not necessarily looked too terrific so far this year after he wanted coming back from injury, but this is also a guy that I think you probably need to be taking a look at with regards to his command because when it comes to Merrill Kelly he throughout his career has been a little bit loose with regards to the walks but so far this year seven walks is 27 innings not great not terrible he hasn't necessarily been able to get the punch outs though 18 punch outs in 27 innings that has resulted in a 633 ERA and the Colorado Rockies who going into yesterday were averaging right around 2.4 runs per game in road games they bust out for 14 runs. I do think that we're going to see a little bit of regression here. It was nice to be able to see it as Trevor Story was able to get a home run. He has been struggling with regards to power, but getting on base, he, Remy Altapia, Ryan McMahon, all in between a 282 and a 305 for McMahon. He's got seven home runs, and CJ Cronin has been able to pick it up as well. Charlie Blackman had a nice day yesterday. That's big because he's hitting right at the Mendoza line of 200. Dom Nunez a little bit at miss, for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Going into the series, they were in the top three in regards to runs per game in the MLB, and they're still having a solid year on offense, but I do think that regression is going to be setting in Christian Walker. Kitel Marte of the Marte Parte, currently on the injured list. I know that Cole Calhoun currently injured as well. And I just don't know how Carson Kelly maintains a, an on-base percentage of a 487. This is ridiculous, as Gerbil Cabrera hitting at 380 with regards to his on-base 250 batting average, and wound up pitching yesterday, so there's that, but you take a look at the Diamondbacks. They wound up saving as many bullpen pieces as humanly possible, but they still had to go to a guy like a J.B. Berkakis. Now you're going to have someone like a Kevin Ginko, Johan Lopez, and company available, and for the Colorado Rockies, they wound up trotting out there some of their younger guys as well. It was very nice to see Justin Lawrence be able to get an inning. He's a guy that I really like for them, and they're going to have some of these guys like a Tyler Kinley available in the bullpen as well, so I do think that it's an intriguing spot, especially with Gonzalez being a little bit better than expected. 360 ERA. He's giving up one home run in 20 innings. Walks could be a little bit of an issue, and he's not necessarily much of a swing and miss guy himself, but you take a look at it. I wound up making the Rockies a plus 133 underdog on my line, so seeing them right around a plus 140 in a couple spots is very appealing to me. I'm going to be taking that. I wound up setting this total at 8.8. I do think that if we are are able to get that 9 juice, which right now I'm seeing a couple minus 105s on a 9 that that is very appealing. So we're going to be taking that under and I'm going to be taking the plus price here with the Rockies. 911 11 on the betting board. You've got the San Francisco Giants sitting the road to face off against the San Diego Padres. As of right now, you've got Kevin Gosman who's going to be going for the San Francisco Giants. It is currently Joe Musgrove listed on ESPN for the Padres currently on betting boards. This is listed as to be determined. So we do not have any numbers up on I'm going to be doing this breakdown as if it's going to be Musgrove against Kevin Gosman. And if we wind up getting changes, that will be noted on the spreadsheet and also on my Twitter feed at JarenSquarty1. But as of right now, I've got the Giants as a plus 126 underdog, San Diego Padres minus 126 and a total of 7.8. So 8 or higher are going to be taking the under, 7.5 or lower are going to be taking the over and with the San Francisco Giants. This is a bunch that they have been a little bit rough with the bats, no question. Buster Posey has been absolutely amazing, hitting a 360. He's been able to hit for some power. You've been able to get something out of Evan Longoria on-base percentage of a 400, but really outside of Mike Dockman who wound up just joining the team, every one of the other starters for the San Francisco Giants were hitting a 221 or lower after last night. Meanwhile, you take a look at the San Diego Padres, you have a bunch of guys getting on-base for you. Trent Grisham, along with Eric Cosmer hitting above a 300, Manny Machado, Fernando Tetis Jr. They have both been hitting between a 235 and a 240, but for Tatis Jr., you had five home runs in that series against the Dodgers in a span of three days. That's nothing short of amazing. You've got a Padres bullpen that has been very, very good. Now, I am surprised that they've been throwing as many innings as they did. Emilio Pagan, Craig Stamen, Austin Adams, Pierce Johnson all wound up getting used up yesterday, but you still have a couple bullets left in the chamber. You've got someone like a Mark Melanson that you're able to look to, and for the Giants, bullpen has been relatively solid so far this year. You wound up having a little bit of a rough outing for a Emilio Duval, but by and large, when you take a look at guys like Jose Alvarado, who wound up throwing just eight pitches yesterday, they've been able to do a good job. Even a guy like a Caleb Barger, who wound up throwing yesterday as well, they've been able to get the job done. I take a look at the San Francisco Giants. I think that it's going to be a little bit of a rough ride for them with regards to the offense, but you take a look at Kevin Gosman, and he has been absolutely tremendous for this team. How about 33 and two-thirds innings, 34 punch-outs, three home runs and 10 walks. Given up. Meanwhile, for Musgrove, 41 strikeouts and 29 innings. We all know about the fact that he threw the first ever no-hitter in the history of the San Diego Padres franchise. So that was no doubt a moniker for him. And only five walks so far this year. So command is good. I did wind up setting this total a little bit higher because this is going to be a one ten p.m. Pacific time game out there in San Diego. Ballpark plays vastly different day to night. So that is part of the reason why I did wind up setting this total at 7.8. And like I said, with the Giants, I would need to be getting above a plus 126 for them to be a take. 9.13, 9.14 on the betting board. You've got yourself the New York Metropolitan in the road to face off against the Philadelphia Phillies. Zach Eflin hopes to not be Eflin awful for the Phillies. Meanwhile, David Peterson is on the bump for the Mets. A relatively pick-em game with the Phillies a slight favorite in this spot. You're going to find them as low as a minus 102, as high as a minus 112. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Mets, you're going to find them as good as a plus 102, as bad as a minus 108. And your total on this game is eight and a F over and under anywhere between even a minus 120. So you've got a nice range there. And when you take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies, it was a bit of a tough game for them yesterday they've been dealing with not having Bryce Harper out there after he winds up getting hit by a ball to the face a couple days ago but you take a look at the lineup in general no question it is going to be a little bit tough for them to be able to generate runs without him you've got Reese Hoskins who has been able to give the team 8 home runs so that has been good for this team you need to be getting a little bit more out of guys like Obdubo Herrera I think he's hitting like a 0.60 right now I mean there's bad and then there's that level bad 0.56 my apologies actually worse you've been getting absolutely nothing whatsoever However, the last couple years out of Scott Kingery as well, Andrew McCutcheon, Matt Joyce. These guys are hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. Alec Baum has been struggling this year. I believe that everyone in the Phillies lineup, aside from the new call-up for this team, Nick Mayton, are hitting below a 240, so that's brutal. Meanwhile, for the Mets, this is a team that they entered into yesterday averaging three runs per game on the road, the lowest mark out there in the National League. Kevin Pillar, Francisco Lindor, Jeff McNeil, along with... Albert Armora Jr. are all hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. You haven't necessarily been able to get a lot of Michael Conforto as well. Now, J.D. Davis hitting a 390 is magnificent, and Brandon Nemo still hitting above a 300. And for the Mets, the bullpen has actually been decent. Edwin Diaz came in and got the save yesterday. Search Familia, Spanish for blown save. He's been able to find it. Now, Robbie Gazelman still sinks, but you've even been able to get a little bit of something out of someone like a Daniel Zamora. I like the fact that they want to bring him up. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, Bullpen continues to be shaky. Hector Neris wound up giving it up yesterday. Brandon Kinsler has not necessarily had great moments for this team. JoJo Romero is someone that you don't know what you're going to be able to get out of him night in and night out, but I do think that the Phillies are going to be having a good advantage with Zach Eflin. He has actually been very Eflin good for this team. Two walks in 32 and two-thirds innings. I believe that the Phillies are 10-3 and in his last 13 starts overall. Meanwhile, for David Peterson, no relation. He has been having a little bit of a rough go of it as well. This is someone that wound up giving up six runs in a start a few days ago against the Chicago Cubs overall for the season has given up four home runs in 19 and a third innings. The walks have been a little bit of an issue and he's done a better job of being able to get swings and misses but when he gets hit he gets hit hard for his career right around four walks per nine innings so I do think that the Mets are going to need to utilize their bullpen a little bit more than the Philadelphia Phillies so I do think that starting pitching is going to be huge in this one in a game in which you've got a pair of offenses that are scuffling a little bit. They didn't necessarily show that off yesterday. I did wind up setting this total at 7.8 so this is a spot in which I'm going to be taking the under and I wound up setting the Phillies as a minus 130 favorite because I am a believer in Eflin in this spot so we're going to be taking the Phillies and this total under. 915, 916 on the bang board you got the New York Yankees playing against the Detroit Tigers Jose Yaraña going to be going for the Tigres. Meanwhile, Corey Kaluba is going to be going for the New York Yankees. Yankees anywhere between minus 240 and minus 278 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Tigres anywhere between plus 200 and plus 230, your total on this game is 8 overs anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120 the under is anywhere between even and minus It's 115, and I've got to be taking a look at the Detroit Tigers. I do understand that the Yankees should wind up winning this game more often than that than the Tigers. I set the Tigers as more around a plus 180 underdog, getting now a plus 230 if you're out there on the East Coast, if you're offshore, more like a plus 220-ish. That is appealing to me because Jose Jareña, while I have never necessarily been too high on him, he's actually come up with a couple decent starts recently. You take a look at his last three. He has given up approximately two runs and went seven innings in each out of his last three. That's actually very solid. Never been a great swing and miss guy. 21 punch outs and 28 and two-thirds innings, 15 walks to boot, but he has been able to do a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard, which I think is important. And Then you take a look at the New York Yankees. This is a lineup that they are starting to get online a little bit more, and you figured that they would. To the extent that they're going to be able to get online, in my opinion, is a question. You've got Aaron Judge hitting right now 291. He's been able to give the team seven home runs. DJ LeMayu hitting back above a 275, but you still take a look at the bottom of the lineup. Brett Gardner, Clint Frazier, Gary Sanchez, Aaron X. All these guys are hitting below a buck 90. Even throwing there are Mike Ford as well. Clay Torres has been able to pick it up, but Runeador, he's never been good. I mean, let's be honest here. And then you take a look at the Detroit Tigers. This team is a disaster on offense. You take a look at their starting lineup. You had one guy that departed yesterday's game that was hitting above at 230. That would be Jameer Candelario. Akil Badu has seen regression after his hot start. Wilson Ramos has been able to give you some home runs, but he's hitting at 224. Doesn't necessarily draw a lot of walks, and that's a problem with the Tigers in general. They're towards the bottom of the league when it comes to walks on a per-at-bat basis. They are number one when it comes to worst bullpen ERA as well, and that's a strength of the New York Yankees as guys like Darren O'Day. A role this Chapman who wound up coming in for a save yesterday. The list goes on and on. These guys have been able to do a good job, even a guy like the Jonathan Luizaga. But Corey Kluber, he's just at an advanced age. I'm not necessarily having a lot of faith in him. 13 walks in 21 and two-thirds innings. It's just been really rough for him because he's went north of four and two-thirds innings once so far this year that came off against the poopy Baltimore Orioles. Now, that wasn't his last start, but I'm just not convinced that he's fully back. I think that this is just a little bit of an overreaction. And with both of these pitchers being a little bit spotty, Jose Urania just for his career, Corey Kluber recently, I set this total more around nine and a half, nine point eight 9.8 to be exact. So I see good value here with the over. Yankees are starting it. I think that the Tigers are going to be able to pick it up as well. And I'm going to be taking that plus price to go along with the over. And 918 on the betting board. You've got my New York Post play of the day, as you've got the Houston Astros, and they're going to be hitting the road to face off against the Tampa Bay Rays. You've got Christian Avier, who's going to be going for the Astros. Meanwhile, Rich Hill is going to be on the bump for the Tampa Bay Rays. With the over and under, you're finding that at 8 overs. Juice of minus 115. The under is minus 105. With the Astros, currently only listed up at circa minus 136 favorites. Rays are at plus 124. And the New York Post play of the day is the Houston Astros. Christian Avier has been nothing short of superb for the Houston Astros. A sub-1 ERA. He has been very lights out throughout his career. He has been doing a solid job of being able to lessen the walks as he's been able to go along as well. That is something that's very appealing. He's backed up by a bullpen that is not great, but at the same time, they are certainly far from terrible as well. You've got guys like... A Ryan Presley who was able to come in. Brooks Raley, they are able to give you solid innings. Andre Scrub was actually pretty solid last year as well. Kent Emanuel has actually been able to form himself as a good bullpen piece as well. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, they're a middling bullpen right now. They've been a little bit better recently. I do like what you're able to get of Luis Patino whenever you need him to come in for a long relief. and You might need it because Rich Hill has been terrible this year. 7.25 ERA. He has went four and a third innings or fewer in pretty much all but two of his starts. So that has been rough. He's given up five home runs and seven walks over the course of 22 and a third innings still getting some swings and misses but he's not offering a lot of length. He's getting hit hard and for the Houston Astros this is a lineup that has been a bit hit or miss themselves on the road. They have been a little bit better than actually at home and you've got a bunch of guys hitting above a 290 for this team. Carlos Correa, Yuli Gurriel, Jordan Alvarez, Alex Bregman, along with Michael Brantley and Jose Altuve, he's hitting at 275. So, you've got all the pieces back for this team. Now, Martín Maldonado, ah, a mess, but he's out there for his glove. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays. You've got the most frequent strikeout team dating back to the beginning of the 2020 season when it comes to being at the plate. Yoshi Satsugo, Brett Phillips, Willie Adamas, along with Mark Brasso, Brandon Lau, all hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. Austin Meadows has not taken off the way that we thought he would. 330 on base, but a 211 batting average. Randy Rosarena, along with Joey Wendell are getting on base, but you don't necessarily have great power with this team either. I think that this is going to be a tough spot for the Tampa Bay Rays, and I think that the Astros should be a sizable favorite here, so the New York Post play of the day is the money line of the Houston Astros, and if you're taking a look at this total, I do think that Javier is going to be able to deliver quite a gem So if things wind up forming on the market in general the way that it is at Circa right now. I'm going to be taking a look at the under. I wound up setting this total at 7.8. Personally, like I said, only Circa currently has a number as I'm doing this podcast. But New York Post play of the day. Astros money line. And I'm going to be looking at the under in this spot as well. 919, 920 on the betting board. The Chicago White Sox are going to be playing also Cleveland Indians. Zach Plesak is going to be going for the Windians. Meanwhile, Lucas Gilito is on the bump for the Sox. White Sox, sizable favors here. Anywhere between minus 158 and minus 170. Meanwhile, your plus price here with Cleveland is anywhere between plus 140 and plus 154. Your total on this game is anywhere between 7.5 and, and 8 on the 7.5. Over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 115. On the 8 under is minus 115. Over is minus 105. And for Zach Plisak, it has been very bad for him so far this year. Now, I do think that there might be a little bit of value here. I was willing to take them as long as the Indians wound up getting to plus 150 or greater. We have actually seen that because Lucas Giolito, he himself has been having his issues so far this year. He wound up having that start against Boston Red Sox in which he wound up giving up 8 runs he's given up 5 home runs in 25 and a third innings throughout his career he's had walks issues and 10 walks in 25 and a third innings not necessarily terrible but at the same time it's certainly far from great for Flesak he's given up 3 plus runs at each out of his last 3 starts but I do think that he's going to be able to bounce back this is someone that does a good job with his command 3 walks in 26 and a third innings so that is something that is very good 18 punch outs this year is a little bit down from normal and for the Cleveland Indians this is a bullpen that they wound up getting quite a bit taxed yesterday but at the same time you do still have quite a few trustworthy guys that you're going to be able to look to in this spot. Someone like James Karincheck is able to come and he's able to hold it down. Someone like Brian Shaw as well as Phil Maiten wound up getting used up. The list goes on and on, but he still has some bullets left in the chamber. And for the White Sox, the season wound up getting a little bit rough for this bullpen as well, but guys like Liam Hendricks have been able to find it. You figured that they would. Alex Calme being out. See how he's doing in Minnesota, not necessarily much of a loss. Evan Marshall had a rough go of it to begin the year, but he's been able to pick it up as well. Matt Foster is someone I like. Aaron Bummer got used yesterday, but by and large, they've been solid. And then you take a look at the White Sox lineup. You've Got a couple guys that are struggling. Jose Abreu along with Adam Eaton are both hitting below a 225. you You're able to throw Loris Garcia, Jake Lamb, Yasmin Manny Grandal into that fold as well. Now you to Mercedes. Hitting a, a 395 is absolutely insane. Tim Anderson hitting above a 300 has been nice as well. And for the Cleveland Indians, it's really been the Framiel Reyes, Josh Naylor, and Jose Ramirez show. All these guys hitting above a 260 with Reyes. He wound up getting the day off. Yesterday he's been a little bit banged up, but really past that, you don't have anyone that's hitting above a 220 for this bunch. So that has been a little bit tough, although I will say for Jordan Luplo, he has been able to hit a couple home runs for this team. That has been nice to see, but when you take a look at this thing, in total I do think that there is a little bit of value on Plesak. I think that he's going to be able to bounce back and have a nice start. And with this total, I did wind up setting it at 7.8. We're seeing a lot of juicy 7.5s right now. Seeing a straight 8 pop up as well. So I'd probably be willing to take an unjuiced 7.5 under before I'd be willing to take the minus 120 on 7.5. Personally, I'm going to hope for an 8, but with that said, that's where I'm looking here. Probably going to be playing the under in some form or capacity to go along with the Cleveland Indians plus price in this spot. 920. 21, 9, 22 on the betting board. The Minnesota Twins are going to be playing us through the Kansas City Royals. Brad Thunderkiller is going to be going for the Royals. Meanwhile, Jose Barrios is going to be on the bump for the Minnesota Twins. Twins are finding themselves as big favorites in this spot. Anywhere between minus 179 and minus 186. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the plus price here with Kansas City, you're going to be finding anywhere between plus 155 and plus 170. Your total on this game is 8.5. With the 8.5, the over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 110. I understand that there should be a little bit of regression for the Kansas City Royals after their hot start this is too much of one. I was pretty much making this where if I was getting at least plus 150 with the Royals, it would be a take. This is much more than plus 150, and I'm a little bit surprised now. I recognize that Brad Keller throughout his career has had his struggles on the road. I mean, you even take a look at it last season. Last season, he wound up having an ERA 8 home out of a 0.27 on the road. It was more like a 6, and for his career, he's a full point and a half worse on the road at least, but with that said, this is someone that does a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. Right around .7 home runs per 9 innings issue and he's given up Only zero home runs in his last three starts. So that has been something that's been very solid. Never necessarily a great swing and miss guy. You take a look at Jose Barrios and it's been the opposite for him. He's got an ERA that is nearly a point lower at home than it is on the road. But he's been a little bit more consistent across both platforms in recent years. He's only given up one home run. I do like the fact that he's given up two runs or fewer in all but one of his starts so far this year as well. So recent form certainly favors him before the Royals. This is a bullpen that has been absolutely superb so far this year. Josh Jamount has come in. He has been absolutely terrific. Josh Prentz is the only guy that they wound up having to use yesterday. So someone like Greg Allen is able to come out. He's able to give you a couple innings. And for the Kansas City Royals, this is a lineup that they're doing a great job. of will be able to have a couple guys that get you on base. Michael A. Taylor, Gerard Dyson. Nicky Lopez has seen a little bit of a slide, but Andrew Benintendi has picked it up from answer Alberto. You got to figure he's going to be able to get on base a little bit more with Merrifield, Salvador Perez and company, and then you've got Carlos Santana with a 374 on base. He's hitting some bombs already a layer. He wound up hitting 49 home runs a few years ago. He's hitting at the Mendoza line and not necessary for a lot of power. When he winds up picking it up, look out below. And for the Minnesota Twins, you've got a couple guys that are doing a great job of reaching base. Byron Buxton wound up batting lead off yesterday, eight home runs, hitting above a 400. He's been terrific. Josh Donaldson, Williams, Studio. Nelson Cruz, all at least at 273 for this bunch, and Dalton Simmons in that neighborhood as well, but you take a look at some of the younger guys for this team. The entire catcher spot has been bad. Alex Kurloff wound up hitting a couple home runs a few days ago, but he's been tough. Ore Palunco hitting at 210 is not good. J.K. Cave hitting below the Mendoza line has been an issue, and then you take a look at the bullpen. Alex Colome has been a hot mess for this team. He has blown multiple games for them. Randy Dobnik has not been good out of the bullpen. Ansel so Robles, Tyler Rogers, two guys I wind pressing him, but the Minnesota Twins in general just seem like a little bit of a rudderless punch at this point. This is a total on which I think is very intriguing with Brad Keller's splits, but I wound up setting this at 7.9, so I'm going to be taking it under, especially with it still being early May, the springtime out there in the Midwest. It's not necessarily warm, so we're going to be taking it under and the plus price here with the Royals. 923, 924 on the banking board. The Boston Red Sox hit the road face off against the Texas Rangers. Mike Fulton-Navich is going to be going for the Rangers. Gary Richards is on the bump for the Red Sox. Tall game is ranging between 8.5 and, and 9. On the 8.5, overs, minus 120. The under is even on the 9. You're under as anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even minus 110 with the Red Sox. You're finding them anywhere between minus 130 and minus 145. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Rangers. You're going to be getting that anywhere between plus 119 and plus 130. And you take a look at Fulton Avich. He wound up having a rough start to begin the year. And he seems to be getting a little bit better. And the same goes for Garrett Richards. He had a couple bad starts going to Boston. But I actually like what I saw from him last year. He has really been able to settle down. Not giving up a ton of hard contact either. Giving up three home runs despite the strong. He has given up two runs or fewer in three out of the team's last four starts, so that has been very appealing. And for the Boston Red Sox, I do sense that the bullpen is going to have a little bit of regression, but they're going up against the Texas Rangers bullpen that they're in the bottom five in pretty much every single category. Now with the Rangers, they wound up beginning of the year very, very bad at home when it comes to the offense. It seems to be coming alive a little bit more. Willie Callum starting out the year on the injured list. I think that we're seeing the effects that that wound up having as he, Nick Solak along with Charlie Culverson, all hitting at least a 3 for the team. Nate Lowe, he's been able Get low with a whole bunch of RBI. He's already got 24 so far this year. That's sure towards the league lead. Joey Gallo, only a 218, but a 404 on base, so he's been able to give you a little bit of something there. Isaac Kinner-Falefa has been able to pick it up for the Boston Red Sox. They lead the big leagues with regards to batting average. They're towards the top of the league in pretty much every offensive category. Alex Verdugo, Christian Arroyo, JD Martinez, Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, all hitting at least a 290 for this bunch now. Frontier Cordero, Hunter Renfro out there in the outfield. These guys are out, mess. and Bobby Dahlbeck. After he wound up having a good end to the 2020 season has not been able to pick it up, but you take a look at the Red Sox. They did use up... Hirakawa Sawamura. That's not necessarily one of their more trustworthy bullpen arms along Josh Shaler. So you are going to have guys like Austin Bryce, Adam Adovino available. And then when you take a look at the Texas Rangers, this is a bunch that they wound up having to burn through the bullpen quite a bit as well. Jordan Lyles only gave you four innings, so that is going to be a little bit brutal for them. Fulton Avish, a guy with a 461 ERA, has given up eight home runs and 27 and third innings. A lot of these coming at home. I think that the Red Sox are going to be able to get a lot of offense generated as a result, which is why I set them as a minus 143 favorite. Seeing them as a minus 130 30 at Circa. That is very appealing to me. I'm going to be taking that money line. Set this total at 9.6 as well. I think that we're going to be getting runs of plenty in this spot. So, taking the over and the Red Sox. We move on to 9.25, 9.26 on the main board. The Baltimore Orioles let the road to face off against the Oakland A's. Chamonix is going to be going for the A's. Meanwhile, Bruce Zimmerman is on the bump for the Baltimore Orioles. Your total on this game is 8.5. With the 8 and half, you're going to be finding the under anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even a minus 110. If you're looking at the Oakland A's, you're going to be laying a big price here. Anywhere between minus 185 and $2. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Orioles. Anywhere between plus 160, seeing as good as a plus 178. And I do think that there's actually a little bit of value here with the Orioles. Set them at plus 173. They opened up at plus 160, so it wasn't a take there. Now that it's ticked up, it is a take on the Baltimore Orioles. Now with Bruce Zimmerman, it's not like he's tremendous or anything like that. He has given up six home runs in 25 and a third innings, but I do think that he's going to be able to get some swings and misses against an Oakland A's team that sometimes they just swing for the fences a little bit too much. With the A's, you take a look at this team with regards to their on base it's intermiss. Mark Hanna has been getting on base at nearly a four on clip. And other than Tony Kemp, who's got a 212 batting average and a 395 on base, nobody that was in the lineup yesterday is above a 315 on base. Jed Lowry has seen a dip in his on base and his batting average in general. Is he Ramon Loriano, Mitch Moreland, all guys hitting between a 234 and a 224? You've had just a hot mess at the catcher spot in general. Aramis Garcia hitting a buck 35. He got the start yesterday. Alva Sanders has not been able to do a lot in for the Baltimore Orioles. Their offense has been a disaster as well. Cedric Mullins is hitting above a 300. He's been able to give the team a little bit of power. Austin Ace, Trey Mancini, Mikel Franco, owing between a 231 and a 245. And Pedro Severino's been able to give you a little bit of something. But Ryan McCastle, Pat Faleka, Chancisco, Roman Urias, DJ Stewart, all these guys hitting a 205 or lower. That has been not necessarily great, though. They do get Freddy Galvez back off the injured list for the Baltimore Orioles. Bullpen has been very good as well, but Tanner Scott Dillon, take Cole Solzer, arguably three of their top bullpen arms. Wound up pitching yesterday, but for the Oakland A's, J.B. Wendelken, Sumergio Romo, they both wound up coming out of the bullpen. Now, you are going to have someone like Lou Trevino, as he has, Meadow Petit as well, but you take a look at Sean Manea. He has been a little bit all over the place so far this season. Has been able to limit the walks, seven walks in 28 and two-thirds innings, but keep in mind, this is going to be a day game out there in Oakland. That means that the Marine layer is not going to be out. We'll up saying this little at nine as a result, so I'm gonna to be taking it over. I do think that there's some value here on the Orioles who seem to be playing better. So, taking the plus price here with the Orioles and this total over 927, 928 on the betting board. You've got yourself the Seattle Mariners playing OCLA the LA Angels. Dylan, don't call me Al Bundy is going to be going for the Angels. Meanwhile, Justice Sheffield on the bump for the Mariners. Mariners are finding themselves as underdogs of anywhere between plus 130 and plus 140. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay a deer with the Angels, anywhere between minus 142 and minus 152 with your total anywhere between 8 and 8.5. And on the 8, the over is just anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Unders, anywhere between even at minus 105. Meanwhile, on the eight and a half, you're finding that under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. Meanwhile, the overs anywhere between even at minus 115. Justice Sheffield is someone that I feel like should be a much shorter underdog than this. He wound up giving up two home runs in over 40 innings last season. It was absolutely superb. So far this year, he's given up a little bit more on hard contact with three home runs. But by and large, I do like what I'm seeing out of him. And for Dylan Bundy, five home runs given up in 30 innings. He's a guy that he doesn't shy away from it. 34 punch outs in 30 innings. So he's a good swing and miss guy. And you take a look at yesterday, you wind up seeing yet another over from the Angels. They are leading all of the American League with regards to overs, as I believe that they are now 15 and 10 in their 25 games. But you take a look at the Angels, you are getting a lot of power out of this team. Mike Trout's hitting a 4.29 with a 5.27 on base. That's absolutely ridiculous. Jared Walsh has been able to do quite a few nice things for this team. He now has six home runs. Joey Otani has six to seven home runs. He's been able to hit it right around at 270. Anthony Rendon is back. He's now hitting at 270. He wound up busting out yesterday with four RBI. Justin Upton has been able to give you some. Albert Pools hitting at the Mendoza line he's anxious, but Jose Iglesias along with David Fletcher, both hitting between a two sixty and a two seventy. And then you take a look at the Mariners, they're now getting back to full force. You've got Ty France, Mitch Haniger. Kyle Seager all above a 250 for this bunch. Hanager now has seven home runs. He's been good in the leadoff spot. Kyle Lewis is still below the Mendoza line of 200, but you got to figure that that's going to be going up after he up being placed on the injured list to begin the year. And then you've got other guys. Sam Eggerty, Taylor Trammell, Tom Murphy, Dylan Moore, guys like this that aren't necessarily hitting, but J.P. Crawford has been good. And for the Seattle Mariners, they rank in the top five in the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERA. There was not much that they could do yesterday. L.J. Newsome just gave a piece of garbage start. Eight runs given up in two innings, but from there they wind up going the other seven innings. They give up two runs. Guys like Will Vest and company have been able to do a very nice job. You've got Anthony Machevich, who you're able to rely upon. Rafael Montero. And then you take a look at the Angels. They wind up having to use up quite a few pieces as well from the bullpen. Alex Claudio, Steve Ciszek. They have been used up. Rocio Glacius, in my opinion, is a very overrated closer. Junior Guerra is able to give you a little bit of something, but I do think that that advantage goes to the Seattle Mariners. I felt like they should have been more around plus 110-ish, so I'm going to be taking the plus price here with the Mariners. I do think that Bundy and jeffield are both going to be solid. Seattle Mariners have been a little bit rough on offense, but I do think that Sheffield is going to keep the ball in the yard, set this total at 7.8 as a result. So, taking the under, and I'm going to be taking the plus price here with the Mariners, and we wrap things up with 929, 930 on the bank board. The Atlanta Braves are going to be hitting the road to face off against the Toronto, a.k.a. Dunedin Blue Jays. I believe that this is the last game in Dunedin, by the way, for the Blue Jays before they wind up going to Buffalo, but we know that it's going to be Ian Anderson going on the bump for the Atlanta Braves. Right now for the Blue Jays it's to be determined. Got to figure it's going to be some sort of a bullpen game, so this is one that is off the board in all places, but for Ian Anderson, he has been able to parlay his good rookie season into a good sophomore campaign. He has given up 12 blocks of 29 innings, so he's been a little bit of a bugaboo for him, but you take a look at him, he has given up one runner fewer in three out of his last five starts, so he's been able to do a great job of holding down the fort. Now, you do want to know with the Blue Jays, they do rank number one in the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERA. That was at the very least going into yesterday after Tommy Malone, who was actually the starter, wound up giving up a bunch of runs out of the bullpen, but with that said, they did have to use up a bunch of pieces as well from the bullpen, which is going to hurt them. Tyler Chatwood, Rafael Dolis, you had Jordan Romano, Tim Mazza, all wind up coming out of the bullpen, so that's going to be a little bit tough for them. Meanwhile, for the Atlanta Braves, they do have quite a few bullpen pieces that wound up getting used up as well. Will Smith, A.J mentor Luke Jackson, but you do have a guy in Anderson that's able to give you a little bit of something. Good news for the Atlanta Braves as well is that Christian Pache is back and fold. He wound up having four RBI yesterday as he wound up having a big giant hit off of Tommy Malone. And then you've got Ronald Acuna Jr. He's doing his thing. Nine home runs, 348 batting average. That leads the league. And you got to figure that these guys are going to hit a little bit as well. Freddie Freeman has a 356 on base, but he, along with Marcelo Zuna, Ozzie Albies, Travis Arno Dansby Swanson, all hitting at a 230 or lower. Austin Riley's been able to get on base and for the Blue Jays. The offense has been able to get going as well. George Springer, Tasker, Hernandez, both are back in the fold. That is good for the team. Kevon Biggio and Lourdes Gurriel, both hitting at 225 or worse, but Alejandro Kirk has been able to find it only hitting at two twenty five. but he had a multi-home run game earlier in the series. Bo Bichette has been able to give you something. Liger or Jr., nearly a five hundred on base. You wound up having a three-home run game against the Washington Nationals recently. Randall Gritchick delivered the game winning it yesterday, so you take a look at this spot. It depends on who the Blue Jays starter is going to be. I'd probably be willing to set the Braves right around like a minus 125 to a minus 130 favorite gauging out yesterday wound up going. I'd probably be setting this total in the neighborhood of 10, maybe even a 10 and a half depending on who starts for the Toronto Blue Jays. So that's where I'm looking with that. And that'll wrap things up for the Baseball betting Podcast on this wonderful Sunday. A big thanks to William Moore of MLB.com and MLB Pipeline for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, you're into you got one of two ways to be able to find questions if you have them for this podcast by Twitter timeline at yours41 keep in mind the letters em they mean does not matter otherwise find an apple podcast review if you rate this podcast five stars it is very much appreciated and then from there you're able to send your questions comments segment ideas what have you into there always love that you guys listen to this podcast I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season which means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow thank you so much for tuning in